Hello and welcome to another episode of the Focus Seedcast. I'm your host, Corey, aka Focus, and today I'm talking with Travis, formerly of Abella Farm, now called Lanvitio Farm. I think that's how you say it. Travis and I talk about a number of topics, including his off-grid homestead, his vegetable growing operation, raising sheep, and the future of farming. Without any further delay, let's get into it. So how's it going? Good, buddy. How are you? Good, good. Um, it's good to finally talk to you. I know we've been trying to do this for a while, so I'm glad we are able to Here's connect. So yeah, I definitely wanted to talk to you about uh, kind of your farm and what you got going on there. Um, so like, how did, how did you get into the whole uh, farming and homesteading thing? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I got the luxury of having a parent that was a homesteader, permaculturist, you know, plant type person. And so my dad was um, kind of like a back to the land guy in, in the late seventies. And I was born on a homestead not necessarily born on the homestead, but you know what I mean? Like I grew up on a homestead. And so it was a really significant, you know, part of my childhood. We had animals and gardens and raised a lot of our own food. And so kind of skipping to like where I am now, I was in college in a very liberal college and talking about all the different problems of the world. And this is basically, you know, when 9-11 was going on, um, you know, it's kind of looking at different solutions. I'm a very solution-oriented type human being. And just looking at, you know, what can I do moving forward in my life to solve all these problems that we're talking about in the classroom? And so I kind of remembered about how I grew up and started reading books like the Nearings book, like Helen and Scott Nearings, uh, Living the Good Life. And you know, just started kind of gardening on my own and was just like, wow, like this is a totally viable solution. I mean, in my mind right now, it's like homesteading. I mean, any problem that you kind of come up with, I really honestly think that homesteading fixes any and all of those problems. So then I started working on a farm about almost like 20 years ago um, when I was 25. And then I started my own farming business when I was 26. And then it just, you know, I mean, and now, you know, in 2022, I couldn't imagine doing anything but this. And I'm also extremely glad that I do do this and that there's people like you in life who save seed and who have that sort of not only passion, but um, and curiosity, like uh, what kind of word am I looking for? But, uh, but need like the, the urgency for it. There's an urgency for you know, I'm sure you're familiar with people like Vandana Shiva and the stuff that she talks about. Like you are the walking embodiment of the person that Vandana Shiva is like saying, hey guys, like you need to go do this. So across, I'm saying this because, you know, across all of what I just explained of my timeline, you know, I kind of came up with, you know, this, the same the same ideals and the same knowledge of saying, you know, some, somebody needs to farm, somebody needs to do this. And so that's kind of a little bit about how I got here and why I'm here. Yeah, so you're up in uh, Maine. So where where in Maine are you again? In Hiram. So where where is that? I'm not I'm not too 30. super familiar with the. Yeah, it's about thirty miles west of Portland. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. So you're actually not too too far from me. Probably like four and a half, five hours, something like that. Maybe a little bit longer. What's that? You're in Connecticut, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm in um northern northern Connecticut. Um, nice. so I know we've we've uh hooked up in Vermont and that was like, I think a four hour drive for me. So. Right. But yeah. I talked to that guy a lot. So. Oh Mark. yeah. Good, good. Nice. <laughs> but yeah, I was curious, like, so your homestead is um, all off grid as well, right? It is. I mean, again, like being a solution, a solution oriented type human being, I, I wanted to align my values and, I like to say my intellect as well, as much as possible with, 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 I guess, you know, the term, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's cliche. It's been used a lot, but sustainability. So I wanted to align myself as much as possible with that. And every time I turn around, like I do a ton of research and every single time I turn around and I'll do like research, just say like, everyone always asks me, how come you don't use greenhouses? 
And so I did the research on greenhouses, plastic, and people don't realize, you know, that like, okay, like the plastic has to be processed. It's got to come from somewhere, right? It's got to come out of the ground. It's got to get, you know, transported to whatever place to get made into plastic. It's got to become the greenhouse. And then after the greenhouse, it's like, what do you do with it? And just in my mind, I just, again, I just wanted to be as sustainable as possible. So that's kind of what and how led me to be an off-grid farm. Um, basically, because I believe that one day oil most likely will run out. I mean, I can't really say for sure. I mean, I know there's a lot of it still left. Um, but in the advent that it does run out, then I wanted to model myself after what I call indigenous farming practices, which obviously have been implemented for thousands of years. Um, I first started off with indigenous uh, agricultural practices of the peoples of these lands. And then I've, in the recent five, three to five years, have started uh, implementing and, and researching uh, indigenous farming and ag agricultural practices from our cultures, like the Europeans. And so I find that they're tried and true and, you know, it's harder work. I don't have a tractor. Um, you know, we, I do have solar panels. But, you know, again, they're tried and true ways that I, I think that one day farmers are going to have to get back to that. Like I've, I've talked a lot about, you know, with other farmers of just saying, hey, like, you know, what happens like if, if your greenhouse plastic, you know, isn't renewable next year? You know, like we just had some in the last couple of years, we just had some supply chain issues, you know, something like that. And or if oil just whatever just ran out became too expensive it doesn't become viable in, in your model of farming anymore how do we how do we replicate or reproduce those you know that that caloric nutrition um you know moving forward you know and i mean in my mind i think like you know being off grid kind of gets you your mindset in thinking about that like maybe growing more storage crops maybe growing more you know dry type crops like beans corn like our ancestors used to do you know in these parts of anyway. And so that's kind of why I farm off grid. You know, I, I, we haul all of our own water from a stream. Uh, again, we do have solar panels. The one thing that, you know, I kind of, I say that's like sort of like my Babylonian, you know, part of, of, of my life here. Um, but I mean, everything else is just, you know, with the circles and seasons of nature. And I mean, I honestly wouldn't change it for the world. Yeah, I mean, that's... Yeah, it's def definitely something to like build up to, and I'm I'm kind of working on it myself. You know, I'm I'm not I'm not off grid at all, but um, I do use a lot of practices where I'm trying to do things uh, with as little effort because um, I don't have a tractor either. So you know, I'm not right. doing a lot of spraying and and you know that kind of stuff. I'm trying to trying to just find crops that do well in this area and basically let them let them do their thing and then see how it goes. And and it's been really fruitful over the last, you know, three years, four years now. Um, cause I got some stuff that, you know, it's gone through a couple of seasons of really bad weather and, you know, I'm right. still getting harvests, which is, which is I can more than I can say for a lot of other people. So. Hey, I'm, I'm when I, whenever I look at your Instagram post, man, I am, I am very impressed. I am. And I commend you for doing the work, buddy. I really do. Yeah. Well, you, you know, I, I, I say Instagram's cheating a little bit because you don't always show like the worst failures on there, but, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> generally I think I do. All right. Um, but I, I wanted to maybe dive into some of the, some of the practices that you use. So like, I don't know if you want to highlight like, you know, a couple, you know, indigenous practices or just, just kind of methods that you use for, for farming. Sure. Absolutely. So uh, again, I've been doing this for a really long time. So I, I was lucky enough to be brought up on a homestead. I started playing with plants at a really early age on my own. Uh, I actually started saving seed and being curious into like those kind of things as early as like eight years old. Um, so plants have like just always been my life. Uh, from there, I really got into compost. <laughs> so like, compost was, you know, my dad taught it, like we always composted and I was just always fascinated by the fact that plants ate something i was just i thought that was incredible that i used to have like these plants in my room and i'd take banana peels and shove them into the soil feeding my plants at like age nine and i just thought that was the most incredible thing so since then i've just become a soil master i make all my own soil i use elliot coleman's potting mix once i make my own soil uh potting soil anyway 
um, I, I, I guess I can I back up. I make it in two different ways. I make compost piles, and um, then I also make wind rows, like in the field. So you know, and then that just um, it just stays in the field. And then the compost piles, the heaped up compost piles, you know, say in a big mound, that becomes my potting soil for every year, which I'll make. I use Elliot Coleman's um, potting soil mix, and you know, and then I do like soil blocks and all sorts of you know little tricks of the trade. You know. It, it, it depends on what kind of plant I'm planting. I don't do a whole lot of direct seeding. I, I do a lot of transplanting. Um, but my farming in, like implements, it's been tricky, like you said. Over the last couple of years, is I'm having to think about this now, <laughs> is because it used to rain, and so I, you know, the indigenous farming practice of of aligning yourself, like you know, I guess I cheat a little bit as well because I have the weather forecast. So what I used to do is just plant right before it rains and it always worked. I mean, now I have to haul water a little bit more, but still, I mean, I don't, I, I use very little irrigation. Um, uh, I do mulch. Uh, again, I don't use any tractors. Um, I guess like, she's coming, but I guess the, 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 the best way to describe it is I just work with, what grows well on my land and, and my climate. So I plant things and, you know, you basically just hope they grow. And sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Um, you know, most of the time they do, you know, I mean, unless a deer comes and eats it, but um, the plants are, are super resilient, like, as you know, and given like the, the, the right kind of nutrition and like that soil, like you're giving them the best sort of chance to grow. Um, it's kind of hard to describe like without like having, I usually do this with people in my garden. <laughs> so um, like for instance, like if I plant like some bees, you know, like I, I'll transplant them, then I'll immediately throw, uh, well, I'll back up, I'll, I'll throw compost down and then I will plant directly into that compost and then I'll top dress it, <clears throat> excuse me, I'll top dress it with, you know, some sort of bag like organic fertilizer. And then again, I'll do that right before it rains. So then all of that stuff gets, you know, one, there's less transplant shock. And then two, all that nutrients is getting watered down into um, the plants, like on a, you know, instead of tilling it in, like some people may till that sort of type of fertilizer in. Um, but I don't, I, I just top dress it because again, I think that stuff, you know, just waters down. So that's kind of like my method. Like most of the stuff that I plant, again, I transplant a lot of the stuff that I plant into my ground, um, like tomatoes, broccoli, cabbage, beets. I will start in soil blocks and, or I will also transplant into four inch pots. And then that kind of kickstarts them. It gets a little extra step, but it gives them, you know, an extra month especially in the broccoli plants or tomato plants, it'll give them an extra month. I'll lay down then a, uh, a whole heap of manure, sometimes even fresh. A lot of people might give me shit for that, no pun intended. But that's only because they say that comp, you know, that stuff needs like 120 days, 90 days, whatever it is to the USDA standards to break down, right? However, that plant, that vegetable is never, that what they, the part that you're going to eat is never going to touch that, that soil, right? So if you lay down partially broken down manure, by the time you're going to eat that plant, it, it, you, you, you surpass that 90 days, right? Broccoli is a 90 day crop. So I, I'll plant directly into that kind of stuff, then top dress it. You know, it's basically like top dressing, you know, your soil. Like I do a no-till method. I never, I have yet to, till. I have about a half acre on the till. I've, I've never tilled my grounds here yet. And then, so the, the manure kind of acts as one, a suppressant of weeds. And two, it acts obviously as fertilizer. And then it acts as a top dress because, you know, you're planting the roots kind of at the bottom of that. And every time it rains, you hope it rains. And then every time it rains, it's just constantly washing, you know, uh, washing nutrients down into that plant. And I found it, I mean, this year, once it started raining, my gardens are, like, these are the best gardens I've ever planted. You know, so I've kind of combined like people like root stout, you know, and her type of gardening methods, like, you know, the, 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 the mulching aspect of it, um, you know, I've, I've stolen, you know, or borrowed pieces of, you know, Elliot Coleman. I got the luxury of working in and around Elliot Coleman for 
like 10 years. Um, I, never, I worked for him just a wee bit, but I worked next to him. We did farmer's markets together at the tail end of my farming endeavor on a different, in, in a different part of Maine. So I really got the ability to, you know, and the, the fortunate ability to look and see what he was doing. I mean, he's the master. If you've never been to his farm, I suggest everybody go and see that farm because So I think the more people like read about farming and, and experiment with farming, you just can kind of, you know, tailor like what works for what works for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and, and I do a uh, pretty much a similar method. I, I use basically no till I do some tillage, uh, like if I'm going to start a new garden, like in a, you know, in a field or something like that, I'll turn it in the sod one time. Um, or if I have like a super bad problem with like crabgrass or thistle or something, but otherwise, yeah, I'm basically doing the same thing. Um, you know, putting down a lot of compost, planting stuff into that, putting down any fertilizer or whatever, and then usually heavy, heavy mulch with straw and just kind of letting it, let, you know, let it do its thing. Sometimes I'll, you know, just kind of like hand water stuff in, but yeah, I don't really have like, I don't have any real irrigation either. Nice. Yeah. I mean, and you find that it works. I mean, you know, some things like, again, you have to tailor certain crops to that. I mean, you know, if you're trying to plant carrots in July in that kind of method, it might not work, you know? So it takes, it takes a lot of, again, like what I was just saying, it takes a lot of experience, a lot of uh, experimentation to develop that farming method to say, okay, like I'm going to take, like, like, again, how did our, you know, I take, I take this approach of indigenous farming and you know, and from that, there's not a whole lot of people who are doing that. So I just had to ask myself, you know, a lot throughout, throughout my time period in farming is just say, like, how do they do that? You know, like, what did they do? Like, they didn't have a hose. They didn't have buckets, really. Like, they didn't have, you know, I mean, if they had buckets, it was maybe like a gallon bucket. They didn't have, you know, cisterns and all sorts of things. So like, you know, pumps and to, to, to get the water everywhere. I mean, even, even if you want to talk about in modern day culture, modern day agriculture i mean up here in maine they have these you know the potato farms and they're like i don't know like 50 acres you know you have thousand acre farms fifty thousand acre farms out west and in california i mean you can't irrigate that you know what i mean so it's like they're they're applying the same methods as well you know irrigation is sort of you know everyone always asks me like how come you don't irrigate and i'm like well because you need a lot of water to irrigate a lot of land. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. Like, you know, there's this whole notion that farming and irrigation is, it, you know, goes hand in hand, which it does to some degree. But at the, at the same point, like you, you want to farm in places where it, it rains a little bit and or be able to tap into that groundwater, right? Like that's what I was just saying, like growing plants like beets, carrots, you know, potatoes that, you know, like corn, these, these type of crops that have a, have a tap root I can then go down into that eight inches of soil. Like if you have a dry summer, like we did this year and, you know, but there's always water that's at least six to eight inches into the ground that doesn't get, you know, burnt off by, you know, the blistering sun and, you know, the climate sort of, you know, if you want to call it climate change or whatever it is, you know? Uh, but yeah, so like, what's the kind of situation um, like that 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 your farm's in? Um, it kind of looks like you're up on like a hill or something like that. So I'm curious to, to kind of how, like, what the typography and stuff is there. Yeah, so I I basically farm on a mountain. Uh, a couple of my gardens are like literally on the hillside. They're like on the mountain, and we have sandy loam, like really sandy loam. Um, so it drains really well. Um, I mean, earlier this, this summer, like late July, before we started getting rains, I mean, even like my perennial, uh, you know, like lemon balm plants, uh, oregano, like even that stuff was dying. <laughs> I mean, it, and that stuff loves that type of soil. So it's tough. I mean, you know, every year you end up getting something. Um, I've kind of, I, I dug a pond here and then I, I mean, I didn't, I, I had it dug. I, you know, had an excavator come in and, and, and dig that out. Last year, we dug it down four feet. This year, because it got so dry, we dug it down another 12 feet and then uh, hopefully hit some clay. So now it's about almost 20 feet deep. And um, we're hoping, I mean, the water is kind of filled up in that thing. And we're, I'm hoping that, you know, that can be my irrigation pond. I've, you know, learned some, you know, through just through, again, like experimentation, like on this property of, 
you know, seeing what worked and what didn't work. And it's kind of hard farming on a slope, um, you know, especially in a climate that's getting drier and drier. So I have some land down, I have 14 acres and I have some land that I'm clearing right now that's a little bit flatter. And then I found that, you know, that, you know, holds a little bit more water. So basically moving the whole farm production over to that area. I'll still use these other plots that are on the, that are on the slope, but I'll use them more strategically. And I'll use them, you know, basically as monocropped, you know, big monocrop, like one's about a quarter acre and then one's about an eighth of an acre. And then I'll use those um, each year, you know, just as basically, again, as a monocrop and uh, as a single crop, you know, where I'll rotate them kind of back and forth, you know, like next year, I'll just, I'll just do one, one of them tomatoes. And then, you know, which is a little bit more drought resistant, it can tolerate that. So again, it's just like, you know, I think the biggest thing for farmers is, is letting the land fall to you. You know, you're, you're trying to figure out like what your land wants to grow. I mean, you could grow beets all you want or, or bell peppers, whatever it is. If your land is just not going to grow them, it's not going to grow them, you know? So you kind of have to work and, and let the land fall to you. So that's what I've been doing. And I found that, you know, on these, on these slopey hillsides, you know, that drain really well, you know, there's, there's certain crops that, that have done really well, like potatoes or, or get corn. And so, you know, those crops will go there. And then on my, on this other plot where I'll be clearing about two acres of land and then growing there, that'll, you know, again, I have irrigation there. So that's, you know, a spot where I can do all sorts of things like lettuce, arugula, radishes, you know, whatever, things that are a little bit more tender and, and you know, need that kind of care. Yeah. Um, I've noticed the same thing. Like um, I'm, I'm kind of on the, a similar situation where I have like a, a lower garden at the bottom of my property. That's my largest um, part of that gets really wet. Like last year I had standing water and part of it. Um, and then, wow. then I have like, you know, as my property goes up, it's all terraced off. So um, it's, yeah, it's figuring out where, where to plant all that stuff. And then I have another property like a mile down the street, which is on a hillside. So it's dry. So yeah, I know don't put my eggplant ever in that bottom lower garden at my house because it's just, you know, this year it was dry, but if, if we got like even a few more rains, it, it just would have been too wet. I mean, I didn't even right. have to irrigate down there at all. I watered everything in, hand watered it in once. And then I really didn't do anything else after that. And about, I want to say like 80% of that garden is all transplants. So, um, nice. yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and, you know, and soil is fixable, you know, I mean, you know, with, with, with compost and just organic matter, you know, I love using hay, leaves, you know, manure. I mean, really, I just, my, you know, the, the, the bulk of my stuff is actually just hay and leaves, you know, wood ash. And then you throw that in the, in the soil and, it, and as you know, it just retains the water, you know, so if somebody is, you know, thinking about starting to grow or, you know, and they say, oh, my land is just gravel, you know, so it's like, all right, you, either, you could build a few raised beds. I mean, where there's a will, there's a way with some of this stuff, you know what I mean? Like, you can easily, you know, buy peat moss and, you know, then throw in, mix in some, some wood ash and, and then just fix up, you know, your soil that way, you know, I mean, it's slow going, um, but it, it's, there's a remedy for anything, right? Yeah. There's a fix. Yeah. I mean, there's a fix for anything in farming, you know. And then the other point I want to make to that is like, yeah, absolutely. I think it's smart to have multiple sort of, I mean, it also depends on what you're doing. But if you want a homestead or you want to grow multiple things, it's smart to have different plots, right? Because you have a wet spot, great. You have a spot that, you know, like potatoes, they love water, they can't get enough. And then you have your hillside that likes dry stuff. And then, you know, you put that stuff there. Yeah. And then I know you uh, raise some animals as well. So I'm sure, I don't know if you want to go into how you do that, but I'm sure you're rotating stuff and obviously feeding them, you know, waste and, and kind of that'll deal. Yeah. I mean, not as much as I'd like. Um, we, I had last year, I had cat, I had a cow, pigs, chickens. Uh, and now, right now we're just down to uh, sheep and goats and uh, you know, the cow just needed a lot of pasture. I was buying in hay. Uh, which was fine because again, I could use the manure in the gardens. Uh, he was kind of expensive. I mean, we, we don't, we don't do meat for sale, but we do, we do, you know, we raise our own meat. And on my last, I had a farming endeavor for 10 years, like I mentioned, like down, uh, in, in down East Maine and 
I never had animals. And now, you know, due to the pandemic and, you know, just, I had, I had some kids and I was just like, Hey, I really, you know, I think this is time to get some animals. And now at this, you know, I, I, at this point in my farming, you know, endeavor, I can't imagine myself not having animals, you know, one, just because meat is so expensive, but two, just for like just the, the curation of the land that they, that they are taking. Right. I mean, just the amount of the manure, the unlimited amount of manure that I get that just goes into my gardens constantly is, is a blessing. And I've always, I've always talked to a lot of farmers, you know, back in the day when I didn't have animals, they're just like, you know, you know, people who did have animals and, and, and raise that tool. They were always talk about it, like the integration. And now I'm just like fascinated by it. I'm like, wow, like this is such an amazing cycle uh, and system you know, being able to, like you said, I, you know, I did grow a lot of corn last year that I fed to the animals and, and different squashes. This year, I, I'm not growing as much for them, um, just letting them kind of eat the land, you know, and the grass and the pastures that I have for them. But, um, I mean, but it is also a, a thought, you know, to grow them like different grains and stuff like that, you know, grow them specific, you know, pasture type uh, fields, you know, that are healthier for them than just, you know, just, you know, wild grass or something. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, uh, I couldn't imagine myself like not doing it at this point in my life, um, you know, or, or so, you know, as long as I'm farming. Uh, so we raise uh, right now we're raising goats, sheep. Uh, all the goats will get butchered this year. Uh, we don't milk any of them. Um, and then next year we're just going to be concentrating on sheep. Uh, I look at sheep because, you know, in, in, the, in two ways. I mean, they can give you milk if you want. We, again, we don't milk them, but we really like the wool. I like making wool products. And then we uh, also get more meat. You know, it's a, it's a great animal that gives you multiple, just multiple items. And, you know, and so you're not really in a farming endeavor or homesteading endeavor, like obviously money also comes into play. And so I look at certain, every mouth is a mouth of feed, right? And, and that costs money. It's just like, you know, like anything else, like a dog or a cat, you know, and, and to me, I don't want anything on the farm to just be looked at as a pet. I want something that's working, for, you know, it, it, it's earning its keep on the farm and meaning that it's either giving wool or it's giving meat. So if I just have, uh, you know, a female goat or a male goat that's just like hanging around and I'm feeding it, like that's money out of my pocket, you know, granted it's still giving me manure, but I, wa I want to like maximize uh, my efficiency on the farm of saying, okay, like I not only want to get manure out of this, out of this, you know, animal, I want to get, you know, meat and I want to get wool as well, you know? So to me, like I have this motto on my homestead that if you're not doing five things at once, you're wasting your time. And, you know, to me, like the sheep are the most, like they're the most efficient. They're, they're maximizing, you know, like hay is hay, you know, and if I'm feeding the goats hay, like they pretty much eat the same much as the sheep, but I'm getting three times out of the sheep as I am out of the goats, you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 This year I decided to add chickens. Uh, and I had, and like, I've, I've just had chickens before in the past, just a few for eggs, but this year I actually got like, you know, a sizable flock. I got like 13 now. And so, you know, right. trying to move them around and figure that out. And yeah, so far it's been great. Cause they've been chowing down. Like, you know, once I harvest some squash seed, I'm taking all the rind, same thing with the cucumbers, just throwing them in the chicken, you know, the chicken run and, and all that. And they're, you know, I, I really, I think I've bought feed, uh, four times this year. And so I'm buying like, you know, 50 pound bag at a time or something like that. I did stock up last time I went. So I got, I got a few bags extra, but yeah, since April I've used like, you know, I don't know, four bags of feed. So not, not a bad deal. <laughs> no, it's not a bad deal at all. I mean, and you're getting eggs, you know, and, and those are high, I mean, you can't get better than, you know, not only the freshness of it, but like they're, you know, the, just the, the nutrient content is is just there's nothing like it there's nothing you know the nutrient content of eating of, of, of eating homegrown food is is uncomparable literally to anything you're getting at the supermarket or sometimes even at a farm stand because you know like i'm kind of a control freak uh especially with my diet i mean that's kind of why i do this and when you can control those implements every step of the way right like you're controlling I mean, and that's what the system is, right? Like the system is 
what you're feeding your animals is like what's going to feed the soil is then what's going to feed you and then that and then obviously then it goes back again right because then what it feeds you and then you know you either throw part of the, the vegetable out and then you know that animal eats that and then it and all you're doing is i can't understand why more humans don't think like this is like you're 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 it's like spiraling up it's this positive spiral that's just getting better and better and better and better instead of like this you know destruction of like what people like Vandana Shiva talk about and this horrible destruction of what we're doing to the planet right now and you know our bodies I mean we're just spiraling down so you're either like spiraling up or you're spiraling down it's like the yin yang of life so like people like us we're using this to our advantage where you're saying okay like this is a controllable like this is a controllable in my life I care about my diet I care about myself I care about the land I care about my the health of my animals and then and then through all that comes like this great appreciation for all of it. it gives you much more meaning to life because you're just you know they call it the wow factor you know again like when i was seeding seeds when i was like eight years old i was just like wow like that's cool <laughs> like you know a little child is looking at something like my two-year-old does like oh like he's just in a state of wonder and like wide-eyed wonder all the time and if we can if we can keep that kind of state of wide-eyed wonder and you know i think that you know we're fortunate that a lot of farmers you know are like in that circumstance like can't help but have that wide-eyed wondering right because you know you, you just find this amazingness of feeding just like wow okay usually like these seeds would go where like in the trash you know i mean where else do they go down like down a you know what are those things called in babylon the in the sink like it goes gur, gur, gur. i don't even know the names of these things anymore <laughs> i lived off grid for too long but like the garbage disposal Right. And like, and like garbage is full. Like, what is that? Where, where is that nutrition going? Like, why not feed it to some chickens? You know what I mean? And then like, why not? And then what are the chickens doing? They're pooping out like this amazing manure that's going to go into your garden. That's just going to grow much more magnificent plants. And then, you know, it's just in on and on it goes. I don't know. I don't get it. People need to figure it out. Right. What you, where do you think like kind of the future of farming is going to go and kind of where do you think the future of our like society in general is going to go? I know that's a huge question, but I know you're always commenting on that kind of stuff. And uh, we agree a lot on uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff. So I thought it'd be interesting to kind of get your take on that. Like it's been long enough, buddy. I know, I know. <laughs> so same. But I mean, I'd be more than happy to answer that because I've, I've made farming my life. I love food. And I, and if you're going to love food, you have to, you know, in my mind, you have to love farming. I love farming. And, you know, I, I walked away from a job that was paying me almost $140,000 a year. And now I make like 10 and that's how much I care about it. Just to start up this farm again, farming is like the hardest thing you're ever going to do. Um, and yeah, I mean, the future of farming is bleak is, is I, I think that it's going to become wildly robotic. Um, you know, you have people like Michael Burry, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett's oldest son is a farmer. A lot of people don't know that. And I mean, they're buying up farmland like crazy. Like, why? Because people have to eat three times a day. It's never going to go anywhere unless we all become robots and humans get killed off and AI takes over and Elon Musk wins. Other than that, if humans, if, if the biological flesh of humans stay around, people need to eat three times a day right and so you know these big corporations bill gates like you know the act one uh, bill gates new foundation act uh, the gates one foundation like they're not stupid like they know that you know just like Vandana shiva talks about like once you control all food and once you control all seed like it, the game is over and you know again this is one of the reasons why i i you know i applaud people like you who are young and who could be out being your, it, it takes a lot of intelligence to be saving seed. It takes a lot of uh, concentration and focus and determination and, you know, separation, right? You've got to separate seeds. You've got to keep them labeled. You've got to keep them labeled in the field. You can't cross pollinate them. You have to keep them bagged. There's all these layers of it, right? So my point is, is you could go be a lawyer. You could use that intelligence to go be a lawyer, to go be a doctor, right? And go make millions of dollars a year. Yet, even if I could do this because you want to save seed, because there's, because it's honorable. And more people need to do this. More people need to step it up and, and, and partake in, in this type of life. Or we're all going to be enslaved based upon the fact that there's only like three 
large seed companies in the, in the world right now, right? You have China, you have the one in China, you have DuPont and, uh, and Dow, and then you have Bayer, and that's it. And they control it all. I don't know if my six minutes is up, but we might have to send the whole thing for me to keep going on about that. <laughs> Still got like three minutes. Um, right. But so, uh, I mean, so that's where it's headed, right? I mean, you already see robotics coming into farming. You know, and like I remember reading the book uh, Omnivore's Dilemma by Michael Pollan years ago, and he was saying that a big corn farmer in the Midwest only works 50 days out of the year, 50, right? I work a lot more than that, like to produce way less than they do because they're just using a machine and those machines, you know, on, on all that flat land, you know, can do what it does and you know, now think about it. Now, you know, Elon Musk is sending massive amounts of satellites into the sky, you know, to do geo-tracking. So now what do you do? Now you just put in a, a bunch of coordinates, you know, GPS now can pinpoint things to a dime, you know, like we're old enough to remember when, you know, it used to be off just a little bit, but now it's like Google Maps knows exactly where you are all the time, like to the, to the spot. And so like, they're going to just implement that with farming, right? And because people don't care, most people don't care about their diets. Like if you walk into like a stop and shop or a Hannaford's or a Publix, like wherever, whatever state you live in, whatever major grocery shop is, you know, maybe besides a little bit of what Whole Foods sells, it's all corn and soy. Like everything is just broken down from corn and soy, right? So, I mean, they're just going to put a tractor out there. They're going to tell you, they're like a, a future farmer is just going to be somebody who sits in, in, a, in, a, in an office like literally just a control room. And what they'll do is just, they'll just push a few buttons. The tractors will leave, you know, the, the building, whatever building it is, they'll drive out, they'll do their circles. There's a lot of circle farming going on out there because I guess it's more, you know, it's easier for the tractor to, to do that. They'll plant the seeds, they'll go and fertilize it, you know, with, with some sort of, you know, synthetic fertilizer. And then they'll go and spray, God only knows what on it, you know, like, so what? Like glyphosate just, you know, it's supposed to be coming illegal for, uh, home purposes, but not for organic you know, or for agricultural purposes. So, so what? So even if it becomes illegal for agricultural purposes, these companies will just create something else. And so it's never going to end, right? So they're just because they love money. So it's just going to keep getting sprayed, right? Like on this land. And now they don't even have to work. And then people are just going to be like, well, who like farmers don't exist. It's not even going to be a, you know, because that's going to be the overlaid sort of idea of what farming is because not many people really know about organic farming. Like I get asked all, or I ask the question all the time. I'm like, how many farmers do you know? And everyone's like, not, I know you. <laughs> and I ask a lot of people that question. Nobody knows a farmer. You know, you can obviously probably say the same thing. Like how many farmers do you know, friends and family and everybody else are probably just going to be like, uh, you, I mean, unless they're like a diehard, you know, person who visits the farmer's market, but other than those people and which is a very small base of people, you know, most people like obviously shop at, you know, these, these big retail box stores. So, I mean, that's, you know, in a nutshell of what I see on the large scale of farming in the next couple of, yeah, it's going to happen faster than, you know, according to Moore's law, I don't know if you ever heard of Moore's law, but it's like how technology, you know, just propels itself in the future and things are just going to start happening faster and faster and faster. And, you know, the time is now to, to do what you're doing. I mean, again, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm not even doing, you know, the best part of, or the most important part of farming you are. Seed saving is the most important part of it. So I, I thought we try to pick it up where we left it. Um, I know we were talking about uh, the future of farming. And one thing uh, that you mentioned was how many people like know a farmer. And I was, I was thinking that that's pretty interesting. I think the whole like farming and homesteading thing is definitely getting popular again. I feel like we're kind of, almost in like a second wave back to the land things, you know, since at least the seventies, I mean, there was a first back to the real first back to the land wave in like, you know, the early 1900s, you know, and especially after world war two and then, you know, 60s, 70s. And I think we're kind of going through that again. So I was wondering what you thought, what you thought about that. Okay. All right. So, so yeah, I mean, you know, if you want to, if, you know, talking about kind of like the historical point of view from that, uh, absolutely. Um, you know, if you think about it, like in the year 1800, I mean, we had, what, 90% of people living on homesteads. And then, and then in, 
<laughs> and then in 1970, you know, you, you had, or even let's say 1950, you had, you know, 70% of food in America coming from people's backyards. You know, it probably fell off in the 60s. And then, and then, and then it kind of came back again in the 70s, but then wildly fell off in the 80s and 90s again. Um, you know, down to where uh, a couple of statistics that I've read is like 0.1% of people actually like grow their own food and only 0.6% of all farmed land in the United States is actually farmed organically. So it's pretty bad. It's pretty low where the farming and sector in, in the United States is not even at a percent. So I'm always saying all that because if people are getting the hint to going to growing their own food or even go full-fledged homesteading, they, we got a long way to go <laughs> to get back to any sort of, you know, larger base of the population to be, you know, sustainably living again. I mean, it's been pretty much like completely wiped off the map. I mean, I actually just had a conversation with somebody yesterday. I mean, I have conversations with people all the time, but this one specifically yesterday, I mean, a lot of these people that want to do it that I personally speak to are just really fearful because it's so, so far out of their wheelhouse and their experience that, you know, going back, going to do it is, is, is scary. The land costs are super high. That's another issue or hurdle. I always get asked is, is how do I afford, you know, a piece of land um, or a house, a farm? I mean, you know, things are, things are skyrocketing with inflation and real estate costs. So, I mean, there's a lot of hurdles and there's a lot of barriers that, you know, need to be, I mean, just the whole time that I've been farming, the barrier of land access has, has been, you know, one of the biggest hurdles. I mean, you must find that too in like talking to other people or maybe for yourself where. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. I think a lot of it's mental too, um, just because people don't like before you go and buy the homestead, just like if you're in a condo or an apartment, like put some, you know, fabric pots out that are like 10, 20 gallons, fill them with some good organic compost and just figure out how to grow a plant. You know what I mean? You don't have to like go super crazy. I, you know, I have a, you know, rel- I have a commercial size greenhouse, but still relatively small. And, you know, half of it, you know, once it gets hot in the summer, it's just fabric pots and I'm growing like tomatoes and eggplant. And I just, you know, I'm trialing container type varieties and stuff like that. And you'd be surprised how, you know, how many eggplants you can get off of one, you know, 15 gallon size pot that are, you know, like the ping tongue long, long eggplants, you know, you can get like a dozen or two, you know, just from one pot. And I'm not even, I'm not even really fertilizing it. I'm just watering it and the soil in there is decent. Uh, as far as the land uh, access goes, I kind of agree with that. Uh, I think it definitely depends on where you live. Um, and like, and then also like looking outside of cities is really hard, but in general, I think a lot of that too is, is, I don't know, that's, it's so like wrapped up in a cultural thing too, I think. Um, because like where I live, there's like, I can drive down my street and there's open pieces of land or people who have like a two, three acre lot. And they're obviously not, you know, their lawn is just being mowed. They're not using it. Um, so it's like the, the land's there. It's just kind of getting over this, like, oh, I need to go buy 40 acres. It's like, we'll buy, buy an acre parcel. You know what I mean? And even if it's just like 15 minutes from where you live already and there's nothing on it and do that, or like try to talk to one of your neighbors and just like, you know, if they have, I don't know, like a couple thousand square feet of lawn that they're mowing, just ask them, Hey, can I grow a garden there next year? And I'll give you you know, half of what I grow or something. Cause I mean, that's, that's literally how I started. I had no money. I had nothing. It was like me going around to fan, like friends and family and being like, can I use part of your yard to start a garden? You know, it took me and my wife looking for, um, you know, a property for like over five years for us to finally settle on the four acres we have now. And honestly, it's not really, I mean, it turned out perfectly, but it's still not ideal property in my opinion. You know, I, I wish I could have gotten something even better, but I, I don't know, you know, you could, you could look for the perfect property forever too. So. Right. Corey, we think exactly like, bro. I love it. I mean, I started, I mean, I a hundred percent agree with all of that. Um, yeah. I mean, I really have anything to say to it except for, you know, I mean, like it's exactly it, you know, and I've had 
these conversations with all sorts of people where I'm like, hey, you know, people are like, oh, well, I live, you know, that's like the kind of thing is like you were saying, like the society just wants to make up these excuses. And that's what I always hear. It's like, oh, well, what about this? What about that? What about that? And that's why I, I let off saying it's the fear. Like they're so fearful and they just create all these excuses of why they can't do it. And I, and I totally, I mean, that's how I started as well. I started off farming, borrowing people's land. And I did that for three years and lived in a tent, saved some money, learned how to grow. You know, I mean, again, like if you're in a city, you know, start from city, suburbia, rural, like if you're in a city and every person put a plant in a pot, right? One plant, New York city has 10 million people. That's 10 million plants. That's a lot of food. Like you just said, I mean, how, multiply that by however many eggplants, one person does basil, one person does tomatoes. Like, I mean, it's just, there's no excuses. You know what I mean? It's like, and then, you know, suburbia, you're absolutely right. Like I had this argument with somebody a couple months ago at my buddy's house and she was just like this really radical left-wing person, no offense to the left wing, but there's a, she was just like, oh, well, it's not possible and blah, blah, blah. And the world's overpopulated and and all this doom and gloom type stuff. And I'm like, but look out the window. I was like, look at all of this space. I mean, I, I, I did a, I have a, a small blog on my website and I forget the numbers, but I put the numbers up to one of my blogs. It was, I did this three-part blog series about permaculture. And so I broke it down and I was like, well, even if just like a 10th of people in suburbia planted like a 10 by 10 garden, you know, you multiply that by however many people that came out to be, again, I forget the exact number, but it came out to be like millions of acres, like literally millions of acres of food would be grown right there, right next to you. And then forget about the rural aspect of it. I mean, you know, the rural aspect of it, like where I am, I mean, I'm super rural. I bought my land for only 65 grand. You know, there's no reason, like you said as well, like that somebody who wants to just homestead you know, there's a piece of land right down the street for me for $25,000. Like you can save that up. You know what I mean? And then like anyone can go and move on it, clear, you know, half, half of acre of it, or even a quarter acre, like clear a 10th of an acre and still grow some food and subsidize, you know, part of their, part of their diet. So, I mean, I totally agree. I mean, it's, there's way. And I just hope more people will find the will. And like you're saying, that I hope a lot of people are looking back towards at it. I mean, I read today about the inflation reports and food is just going up, 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 up. And it's just like, well, you know, offset your food bill by growing a few things. Oh yeah, definitely. And then that's a great segue because if you grow your own food too, it's going to be like higher nutrition, pretty much not even trying um, as far as the nutritional value of it. And I think that's a huge thing too, which like you were talking about last time with like the, you know, with like this kind giant, like this, uh, sorry, uh, giant agricultural model of like this, you know, soy corn kind of deal where like now you're seeing, um, you know, a lot of problems with people's health. And so like, that's another thing too, is like, yeah, that acre, you know, that you're buying spent $25,000, the food that you're growing on it probably would have cost you, I don't know, you know, 10, 20 bucks at the grocery store. So it doesn't seem like you're making the money off of it, but as far as like your health and your mental health long-term, it's totally going to pay off. And I think that's a lot, another thing people don't understand um, too. So. Well, that's how you, I mean, it's hard to quantify like immediately. Right. Cause you're a little, like I, I spent, I remember I just saw somebody post something on Instagram, you know, like, like I kind of did a couple years ago when I had chickens and they were like, this is the most expensive. They got their first egg. Right. And they're like, this is the most expensive egg I've ever gotten. And you're like, okay, but that's also, if you don't do these kind of things, like you're saying, that's also going to be like the most expensive heart transplant 20 years from now. That's going to be the expensive, like chemotherapy because you have cancer, you know, that's going to be the most expensive, like whatever X, Y, and Z, because you're not taking care of yourself. And so, I mean, that's just what it is. Like people, people need to learn how to like quantify, you know, what, what that means to them to actually grow, you know, like their own food and be healthy. <laughs> but I mean, another thing I wanted to, you know, kind of touch on, you know, transitioning out of that a little bit is, is talking about like the future of agriculture. I mean, I don't know. I actually just read online today that the USDA has an initiative going on where they're going. <laughs> it's, it's not funny, buddy. Come on. 
where the USDA has an initiative going on where they want to put $300 million towards organic agriculture. I mean, maybe, you know, I don't, I don't know what that all entails, but. Yeah. Um, the, the devil's in the details, especially when you're dealing with the USDA and, and anything with government, like what is that? Yeah. Wh- who's that money going to, or what does that actually mean? But yeah, yeah. Keep going. And that's, and that's, and that's for all organic farmers. But if you compare that to Gotham greens, which is like a vertical indoor farming, you know, that was kind of one thing I forgot to mention last time is I think that's like where a lot of farming is also going to go. Like if you look at Fukushima that happened in Japan, Fukushima happened in their agricultural area. And so it contaminated their whole agricultural area. And, you know, I'm, I'm just always reading about farming news around the world. I've traveled to every continent and every time I've been to every continent, I'm, you know, a big time surfer. So I've traveled for waves, but at the same time, I'll also just study like wherever I go, their agricultural situation. And so um, I haven't been to Japan, but just researching like what they were going to do, they started doing vertical indoor gardening, you know, otherwise known as like hydroponics. But like that just, that just leads to like a whole nother plethora of problems, right? I mean, you, you, you can't fertilize it with organic fertilizers and say like grow an indoor weed and like or cannabis and like where does where does when you flush out all those nutrients where do they go they go into like the sewer system you know what i mean they just like go into the ground you know like you're just farming with like plastic and you're farming i mean there can't be much nutrients in those in those type of plants you know it's oh yeah for sure I, I there's a lot of problems with that i know like especially the dutch have gotten a little bit better with like the, their waste stream and they've gotten it pretty minimal but at the same time like like you were saying like how nutrient dense is that food probably not very um because you don't definitely you don't have that microbiome that you would normally have and you know when you grow in soil outdoors uh it just doesn't exist and trying to recreate that indoors is basically impossible um you know there are some cannabis growers who are doing like indoor soil and stuff now which is pretty interesting and they're having good results but that's not really like scalable um you know to that level i mean and never mind the energy consumption i mean just like growing indoor cannabis i mean it's now not under lights i mean sorry it's now not under the sun it's under lights so i mean you know the bulbs go extinct i mean not you know you need the energy to run them I mean, forget about it. I mean, it's just, I mean, all of the answers are there, right? Like somebody like yourself could understand all the solutions to all these problems we have with feeding people. It's just soil, right? I mean, create good soil, maintain the soil, permaculture, you know, I mean, one of the, one of the greatest fixes I could ever see is, and is having landscaping companies, instead of them planting perennial ornamental shrubs, plant like an apple tree plant some blueberry bushes you know what i mean like plant some raspberry bushes these people don't want to take care of their land anyway so how about they specialize in that and and edible landscaping and then they just go and take care of it i mean this is to me it's like these are some of the things that we should be pushing you know like obviously you know there's a probably a book out there called you know uh foods not lawns or something like that or gardens not lawns and you know i mean if people don't even want to do it themselves, I mean, like you said, I mean, people who want to get into farming, you know, hopefully people would open up that land to somebody who wants to farm, like we started out. And then they just say, yeah, I can share, I can share the harvest with you. Um, but I mean, even that's kind of difficult. There's a woman with about a five acre field, just, I don't know, like a half a mile from my place, not even like a quarter of a mile. And, and sometimes I'd walk my animals over there so I actually reached out to her one day and called her and said, Hey, do you mind if I just pasture my animals on your land? I'll put up a fence. She said, no. So I said, okay, what happens if I just walk up there with them? I'll let them eat a little bit and I'll walk them back down. And she said, no. So I'm like, Hey, so, I mean, even so, like some people just don't get it. I mean, it's going to take like, a, I mean, I, I call them conscious consumers, right? Like I do the farmer's markets, you grow seeds. We need conscious people to buy our goods. And, and, you know, there's a lot of people out there who want to farm. Well, maybe, I mean, I don't know, but I mean, it's, we need, I mean, first and foremost, we need the conscious consumers, you know, we need to, I mean, whole, every time I go to Whole Foods, Whole Foods is now like blasted with people. Like there's so many people there, but like, if we could get even a fraction of those people to now shop at the farmer's market, where it's a little, a little less convenient, you know, I mean, now 
now we'd really be putting a lot of money into the local farmers' hands, which would make a huge impact. Oh yeah, for sure. And it's, it's about building that culture and that community too, because I mean, that's, that's what I see, you know, as a huge problem right now is especially in political climate these days, it's just like, I don't, you know, where, where do you start with all these, with all these problems? I mean, we have, we have the answers, but it's, it's kind of getting the solutions and putting everything into place and then actually finding the people who uh, like are like-minded and getting them together. Like, I feel like that's, that's the next step is like actually building it because like you said you could have somebody living down the street from you who like you know could be a perfect complement to what you're doing but they just don't want to have anything to do with it whatsoever for whatever reason and it's like there's nothing you can nothing you can do about it really yeah i mean my concern in in all of this has always been like how do you get more people into it because like I, i used to go to tons of conferences and events and it was just like it was always the same people we were always talking like you and I, which is awesome. You found camaraderie and like a lot of these people and you're just like, Hey, you know, awesome person. Like we think exactly alike, but you know, it was very rarely that another person would come in, you know, be curious to it. So it's like, how do we, I mean, that's again, it's been like one of the biggest tri- like trials and tribulations of my career in farming. Like, again, I'm so, I'm so passionate about food. Like I just love food like so much. And it's like, how do you get other people to care about food and care about local, um, you know, it's like, I mean, all of it. I don't want to just, just say local food because there's so much there, right? Like we're caretaking the soil where we are the gatekeepers of seed saving. We're the gatekeepers of, of a, a, a lifestyle. We're the gatekeepers of, of, of animal husbandry. You know, I mean, if you think about it, like all these, if we think about like, just like every year when you save seed or you know i breed my animals i mean that's a direct that has to happen pretty much every year right (laughs) and that and that's a direct link every single year back to what our ancestors did so i mean if i'm if i'm raising sheep here and and every year i breed them you know and we get baby lambs on the on the farm that's literally a direct link to the first cultures that started doing this like 20,000 years ago. It happened every year for 20,000 years. My point is, is like, if it ever stops, then it goes away, right? Especially for seed saving, you know? I mean, the animals might live five or six years, 10 years. I can breed them maybe later on, but you know, you look at some seeds and like seeds are not viable for that long. I mean, some of them are, but a lot of them aren't, you know? And, and as soon as they die essentially that's it it's gone you know it's kind of like the movie and a lot of these conversations i always i always talk about the movie interstellar i don't know if you've ever seen the movie interstellar with matthew mcconaughey but it's this really wild sort of movie that's based on physics and you know it's it's really for like scientists to watch it's a pretty cool concept movie but anyway in the beginning of the movie matthew mcconaughey used to be a astronaut and then it's like in the future, right? It's like say 2100. And in the beginning of the movie, he's now a farmer. And then the far, like all he does is grow corn. And then like, and now everybody else grows corn around the planet as well. And so what happens is, is there's this blight and this blight basically wipes out all the corn on the planet. And that's it. It's like gone. It's like you can't, you're not going to survive. I mean, and that, like, so the concept is already even in Hollywood. So that must mean that the concept is in the USDA, the, the concept is in the FDA, the concept is, is, is out there. And so why people aren't heeding that warning is beyond me. And, I, and again, I hope, you know, I, I always have hope and I hope people do heed that warning and do start thinking about these things because you can't just, especially for you, I'm talking about this because you, you know through saving seed, you can't just go create you know, if you lose a variety, you don't just go create that again, especially if it's an heirloom seed, right? Like you just don't, you don't will that out of, out of thin air. That's like 10,000 years of genetic manipulation in order to create whatever it is, you know? And so for humanity right now to just be like, yep, whatever, like we don't need those. It's kind of ridiculous. Oh yeah. And, and I, going back to like what you're saying about trying to like 
you know, going to the conferences and it's the same people all the time. Like, I don't know, it's the same thing. Um, and I actually stopped doing a lot of the cannabis events. Um, I still do some, but, um, I've noticed that if I go to like local events, like, I don't know, your local, this and that vendor fair or small business expo or something like that. I have like, Oh, like I wouldn't necessarily make as much money, but I get way more engagement from people. And like, now I'm starting to see people from those events, like come back around who like grew my seeds out and they're like totally psyched about it. They're way more into gardening. They have way more questions for me. And I think that's a better way to kind of like get yourself or anyone, you know, who's listening, like don't always go back to the same watering hole, go somewhere else, somewhere different and talk to those people, you know? Um, Yeah. And then same thing, like get, like get involved with churches and, and other local groups, like people don't do that stuff anymore, you know, like fraternal organizations and stuff like that um, were really big, you know, 50 years ago, churches were really big, like, you know, Lions club, whatever it is, like people used to really be involved with that. And I, you know, we've seen that go away and that's, that's also a way where you can engage with people, you know, who live right down the street from you um, in a meaningful way, you know, and you can, you can start having those conversations and stuff. So. I like it. Yeah. Um, but if there's, is there anything else you want to touch on? If not, I have, I have a couple uh, quick questions for you, but, uh, Go ahead. yeah, fire away. Sure. Sure. So, um, what's, uh, what's your favorite tool on your farm and homestead? Uh, my favorite tool is my Italian grapeo. Okay. I, I'm not yep. familiar with what, like, how, how, what does that look like specifically? So it generally has a wee bit of a shorter handle. It's basically like it has like the, the head of the hoe is basically like it's on steroids. It's just like super diesel, you know, and it's, and it's just a, the, 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 the handle of the hoe is usually like a lot thicker, like just wicked strong. And I mean, you can just, it's like a, it's sort of like a Maddox and a hoe had an offspring. You know, it's got the durability, the strength of a, of a Maddox, but in the shape of a hoe, but like a, you know, big broader type, head, you know, type head. Okay. So you're like cut, cutting rows and go like cutting furrows and stuff like that and just turning things over and all. Yeah. Yeah, you can. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. Nice. Um, and then what's um, one word of wisdom or advice for all the uh, farmers and homesteaders out there? Do it sooner than later because there's so much knowledge you know, to, to reacquire, um, you know, again, I was just talking to somebody, I had this conversation yesterday with somebody who called me and, you know, basically just asked that same thing. It was like, what advice do you give to us? We really want to find land. We want to go do it. Um, then I guess they're not going to follow my advice. They, they, they texted me later and they were like, well, I think we're going to go a different way. But I, I read living the good life by Helen and Scott Nearing years ago, like 20 years ago. And I'm a big, you know, I'm a big champion of wanting people to own their own land, you know, find something like you just, like you said earlier, like, I don't care if it's an acre, whatever, like find something that you can just move on to. You own it. You don't have to pay rent. You know, you pay your taxes once a year, you can grow food. You can do at that point, what, whatever you want. And it kind of takes a lot of the edge off. You know, I mean, and in that way, you can concentrate on homesteading. You can concentrate on growing food. And if you want to get a job, you can go do that too. You know, you can do part-time for both. Um, I also say, you know, get on it sooner than later, because if you don't want to just own a piece of land and you want to buy something bigger, like a farm with a house and a barn, then, then what you have to do is start, you know, again, starting sooner than later is, is by saving money. You know, I mean, that's, that's one of the hurdles, you know, I see with people wanting to, you know, do it themselves, but they don't have any money. So I'm like, well, you know, land prices are only going to keep going up and up and up, you know, in the grand, in the grand scheme of things. So it's like, you got to start saving money at some point, you know? And, and again, in that interim, if you, while you're saving money, like, you know, borrow a lot, plant stuff, learn how to grow plants in a pot. You know, I always give, you know, if any of my interns or woofers ever came here and they were really interested in doing this on their own, I'd always give them a seed catalog. And I'd say, this is, this is your homework. 
you know, this is where your, this is where it starts is this, you know, I said, you have to learn these seed catalogs inside and out because there's farming is, you know, especially if you want to be, you know, an actual, an actual farmer or a seed saver, you know, if you just want to grow apples, then just go plant a bunch of apple trees, you know, and there's, there's some complexities in that as well. But if you want to be a veggie farmer and, you know, and actually grow more than five or six crops for yourself or for market, there's a lot of varieties in those five or six crops, you know, or 10, 20 crops, you know, there's early varieties, there's late varieties and there's storage crops. There's ones that are good for the heat, as you know, there's ones that are good for the cold. So it's like, you know, that's what I tell them. Like it, it takes a lot of, you know, reacquired knowledge because we used to know all this. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie seeds, the untold story with Vandana Shiva and Will and uh, Will Bonzol. No, I have, I have not. Everyone keeps telling me to go watch it, so I have to find a copy somewhere. You gotta see that that documentary. It's like the best one ever. And you know that that's a you know that's another thing that I would tell people to to do is to watch that that documentary specifically. Documentaries like Food Inc. You know to get a little bit of motivation and 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 fear of being like wow like that. It's like in your face. It's a visual. You can see. You know, Vandana Shiva is, is the powerhouse leader of this movement around the world. And so that, that kind of gives the motivation to be like, you know, the, the, the desperation of like where we're at and how much it needs to happen. You know, I mean, in the beginning of Seeds, the Untold Story, she, you know, they kind of basically talk about how many different strains of cabbage there used to be and how many different varieties. And now they're like, well, now we're down to like five. <laughs> and they're like they used to be like 300 you know and, and 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 they go through like so many crops like that where it's just like you know we've lost so much genetic um uh what's the word you know the word it's just uh genetic uh diversity diversity there we go i don't know yeah. why but um yeah we've just lost so much of, we've lost so much of that genetic diversity that it's just, it's, it's insane, you know? I mean, and it's just going to keep happening. I mean, I see it every year. You open up a seed catalog, please stop, okay? And, and it's just, you know, you're like, well, where did that go? Where did this other thing go? Where did this other thing go? And then that's it, you know? It's, it's just going to keep happening. The more people, you know, don't keep it alive. So that's some of the, some of the advice that I, I you know, I get yeah, that's, that's really good. Um, so do you have any, um, like, plugs or places where people can find you or any other, like, you know, contact information or something you want to you wanna plug for the, for the podcast? Yeah, availafarm.com, Avela, uh, at Availafarm on Instagram, and those are the only places that I can Okay. Well, Travis, it was good talking with you. Corey, thanks so much, brother. Keep in touch. Yep. That's it for this episode. I'd like to thank Travis for coming on. And if you want to find him on Instagram, his new handle is L-A-N-D-B-A-E-T-T-I-R underscore F-A-R-M underscore. That's it for this episode. Happy growing. Peace.